G'day and welcome to the Ball Boys Fantasy Basketball Podcast. Today we're going to be talking about punting. What is it? How can we use it? What are the advantages of using it? And what do people make the mistake of most when they punt? Let's go! Talking about G'day and welcome again to the Ball Boys Fantasy Basketball Podcast. I'm your host, Mitch Casey, and you can find me on Twitter or X at Ball Boys Fantasy. And like we said off the top of the show today, guys, we're talking punting. Now, punting is one of my favorite topics to discuss when it comes to fantasy basketball. I use it a lot. Um, and this is because I think that it's a very good strategy to create value in your league. And um, I've seen a lot of success using it in the past, but I've also seen a lot of people have success without punting in, in the uh, in the past as well. And, and there are a lot of many different strategies that can result in good um, you know, fantasy success, but this is just one of them. And if you're keen to use it, it is important to understand what it is, how to use it properly, and in what situations um, it should be used, and, and so on and so forth. So today we're going to be doing a deep dive into punting as a general strategy and philosophy. Next week, when I'm going to be doing my uh, fantasy basketball um, shows, we're going to do a little mini-series on a few different specific punt build videos. So, at the moment, I've got lined up a uh, free throw percentage, a field goal percentage, an assists, and a punt points uh, build. Four videos slash podcasts for next week. Undecided whether or not I need to do sort of maybe a punt blocks or a punt steals or threes or something like that in there. I think those ones are a little bit more self-explanatory, but those ones I think are probably the biggest ones I wanted to tackle at least next week that I can fit in before we start getting into mock draft, sleepers, bus, some tears, all that kind of stuff the weeks after. So that's kind of what's coming down the pipeline in terms of content from the ball boys. Um, but let's uh, let's get stuck straight into it, talking about punting. And I guess we're going to start off by defining what is punting. Now, if you're new or perhaps you've come over from a fantasy football point of view, you know, you've thought about punting as like kicking the ball um, in, in a football sense. It's not that. What we are talking about when we're talking about punting in a fantasy basketball point of view is we are ignoring one or more categories when we are looking at a player's value. Now, what this does not mean what this does not mean is that you are trying to be as bad as possible in a certain character. So if a team or someone says that they're going to make a team and they're going to be punting free throw percentage, they are not going out and trying to get every single bad free throw percentage shooter in the NBA on their team because they are punting free throw percentage. They are simply ignoring that category when evaluating a player. Um, and this is... an to sort of get ahead of myself and, and get early on the run sheet today, but this is probably usually one of the biggest trip-ups and one of the mistakes that people do when they consider and talk about punting as they think about, okay, I've got punting this category. That means I'm trying to target these guys that are bad in this category because I don't care about it. So they end up having you know all the worst free-throw shooters on their team, but that is not the case. We are trying to just simply 
look at the other categories. So if you are in a nine-category league and you're looking at punting field goal percentage and turnovers, for example, you're looking at the other seven categories. So points, threes, free throw percentage, assists, rebounds, blocks. Um, oh, that's, sorry, I'm forgetting something. can't remember off the top of my head. Um, you're looking at those categories and not looking at those two ones that you're punting. So you're still trying to get those other categories. You're not just trying to be as bad as you possibly can be in those ones. So very important distinction that I want to start the show with today. So I guess the next question we ask ourselves is, what is what are the advantages of punting? So why, why would you punt in fantasy basketball? Now, I think there is a couple of different reasons, and we're going to get into different formats in a second as well. But the few reasons that I can think of here is that it, when you ignore one or two or more categories, it is much easier for you to concentrate on the remaining categories left and be as strong as you can be in those categories. It is much more of a difficult task, especially in competitive leagues when you're doing it and you're going up against people who know what they're doing, to be extremely competitive in all the categories Um in my opinion. So when you eliminate certain categories, it is easier to concentrate all your resources, all of your value into the ones that remain. Um, so that's the first advantage. The second advantage is that it improves some of the, it proves the value of players who would otherwise be avoided by other guys because they've got a major deficiency in one of their categories, for example. So I've heard this, and this is a bit of a nitpick of mine. I've heard in a few podcasts, um, shows, Twitter, things like that, of people who talk about punting in a negative light and say that it, they don't they don't do it because it feels like you're picking from the same group of players as other people who may be punting as well. That's often a bit of a criticism of why you shouldn't be punting. But I would argue the opposite in that when you are punting, you are eliminating this downside of a player and concentrating on only what they provide strength-wise. So... If you're going up against someone who isn't punting and they're trying to look after all nine of their categories, they might, for example, avoid a player like Giannis who has an extremely high negative free throw percentage um, score. So if you're not punting free throw percentage, he if we just use last year's um, rankings as an example, he was the 104th ranked player. But if I punt that category, he is suddenly the 10th best, best player. So for that reason... You're not if you're looking after your categories and you you know were thinking about that you wouldn't be drafting him at ten you might not be drafting him at twenty or thirty or forty and you if you were versing a bunch of players in your league and no one was looking at punting theoretically if if you knew that you could wait until pick one hundred or whatever and draft Giannis and get ninety spots of value and um, ignore that category. And that's where you kind of get that leg up because you don't longer care about that in your build. You're getting someone who's top 10, but in everyone else's situation, he's outside the top 100. So for that reason, I actually think it opens up more players for you to draft from than play players who are trying to look after their categories. So it improves the value of those players when you eliminate their major weaknesses, especially in examples like a Giannis, where one category drags down his overall value so much compared to if you just simply ignore it. And then the last thing here, it does give you a buffer in case of injury. So this kind of folds back into the first point as well. So when you concentrate all of your efforts on building up the remaining six or seven categories as much as possible, that if you do have a player that goes down with an injury, um, you know, say you're punting um, free throw percentage, we'll go with that one again, and you have you draft a player like 
I don't know, let's 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 do say you, you draft a player like a a Walker Kessler. So your punting free throw percentage, you draft Walker Kessler because he looks really good in your punt build. He goes down. Now, normally your blocks, okay, he's a huge reason for your blocks. He's a huge reason for your field goal percentage should be really good. That's a lot of his value. If you were looking after a team and you were trying to spread out your resources, he might have been your maybe one or one of two guys that were really giving you the field goal percentage and blocks categories. But if you were on a team that punted free throw percentage, naturally you might find yourself with a team full of those kind of players. So even if you lose one of them, you're still going to be pretty pretty well off, pretty good in that category, even if one of those players goes down and it's not going to cook you. Um, so because you've built up so much of an advantage in those categories, even if you lose one of your key guys. Now, injuries are never good, right? It's, it sucks whether you're punting or not punting. If your player gets injured, especially if they're a really good player, it's always going to hurt. It's always going to suck. But in some instances, it can give you at least that little bit of a buffer that can provide you enough to kind of get a little bit more of a leg up compared to if you had tried to spread out your resources to other other areas in the, uh, in the draft, other categories. So... Those are probably the main advantages to punting. Um, I think the, the main one is that first one and probably the second one as well. So those two things are probably the biggest advantages in my opinion. So um, the next thing that we're going to be talking about here is um, punting in different... Oh, sorry, I've skipped right ahead. Um, hold on a second. Best rankings. The four category. Okay, that... Let me just pause this one right here. All right, we're back on here. Just had to make a little quick edit on the video there. Hopefully everything is going all good now. But we're talking about punting in different formats. So punting in head-to-head versus punting in roto. Now, I do think that they are different because obviously they're different formats. The scoring system is a little bit different. Now, in a head-to-head league, this is more typically where we see punting um, you know, more commonly and widespreadly used because... In a head-to-head format in category leagues, you come up against someone and you win 5-4. That's considered a win. In the playoffs, you would then move on to the next round. Now, there's different uh, versions where you've got each category versus most categories. So in each category win, um, you might win 6-3. So you get six points um, in the win column, three points in the loss column versus a, a most category league. You win 5-4, you get one point. You win 8-1, you get one point. So each win is considered the same. In that situation, punting is almost essential. You almost have to do it because there's no advantage to winning more categories than not. Versus in a in an each category league, you may run into the issue of, okay, during the regular season, you might not be sitting very high in your standings. And if your playoff picture is maybe more restrictive and more difficult to get into, then punting might be a little bit less viable. But I still think in most scenarios, if you're winning the majority of your weekly matchups, you'll be good enough to get into the playoffs. And once you're in the playoffs, you'll be very hard to knock out. So in that format, it's a bit more straightforward and it's a bit more of what we're going to discuss today in general. In Roto, however, there is more... It's it's less widely used, but I still think that there are scenarios that you can use Roto um, and punt in that as well. Now, I'm less experienced as a Roto player. It's not kind of the format that I play a lot of, but the theory still stands up. Now, the lowest you can score in a Roto format is one. So if you're last in a category, you get one point. The highest you can score, say in a 12-team league, the highest you can get is a 12 points. Now, if you are in a situation where the cost-benefit analysis, so if you're going to be losing 
points for a category, but gaining on other points. So say you're down near the bottom of the standings in, let's keep using free throw percentage. If you're already down the bottom of the standings in free throw percentage, say you're second last and you want to trade in someone like a Giannis and you're going to lose a point and go to the last in free throw percentage, but you're going to gain enough points to improve two places in points, one place in rebounds, uh, three places in field goal percentage, then the net gain by getting that player, even though he completely tanks your free throw percentage and it's unrecoverable, you're still going to gain in those other categories enough to make the loss of that one category worthwhile. Now, it's a little bit more tricky to kind of figure out the cost-benefit in a situation like that, and especially during a draft live when... You know, you've got other rounds still to come and who knows what's going to happen. So for that reason, I don't normally recommend going into a Roto draft and just going for a punch strategy off the bat. It's probably more of something that I would pivot to later, maybe during the season or after the draft has sort of gone under the first handful of rounds or something like that and then start to sort of assess the landscape of the league and where you stack up against other managers in certain categories, uh, whether it's worthwhile trying to improve a category that's maybe lagging behind or whether it's worthwhile maybe just forgetting about it and trying to get the other ones up really high. Um, whereas in a head-to-head league, you can be a bit more aggressive in, in terms of punting straight away that first round and going into the draft with a little bit more of a more rock-solid and identified strategy. Um, but I did just want to touch up on that one because... Often we say you can't draw, uh, punt in roto leagues. You definitely can. It's just more difficult and probably harder to determine when is the instance to go into a punting strategy in that kind of situation. Let's talk about punting multiple categories. Now, in a roto league, again, this is probably not something you're going to want to do. You could probably punt one category and maybe a soft punt on another, and that's about it because, again, there's just not enough room for that error to be there. But in head-to-head leagues, I definitely think that punting multiple categories is a play. Sometimes I even recommend it depending on the types of players that you're getting early in your draft. So, However, the biggest thing that we want to talk about when we're punting multiple categories is that you want to be doing pairings of these categories that make the most sense. You don't want to be pairing punt categories that are kind of diametrically opposed. And we've seen in fantasy basketball in the NBA, there's certain categories that um, correlate well with each other. So, for example, some good pairings might be punting free throws and threes. Now, what that does is it naturally gets rid of a lot of um, guys who are guards that shoot a lot of threes, are good shooters, but boost the value of those non-shooting big guys who can help you in things like field goal percentage, rebounds, blocks, um, and, and a lot of those defensive stat guys, which are not great at shooting, but they're really good at other, other things, so it boosts the value of those ones. So that naturally works well together. On the flip side, if you punt field goal percentage and blocks, it's going to decrease the value of a lot of those big guys and elevate the value of guys who maybe take a lot of shoot threes, and even though they're good players, when you shoot more threes, your field goal percentage is going to suffer because of it. It's not as easy to hit a three as it is to dunk the basketball um, when you're seven foot tall, that is. Uh, so those players are going to be more valuable and that, again, pairs quite nicely together. And then the third one I've thrown in here is assists and steals. So a lot of guards, a lot of point guards in particular, 
get a high amount of assists and steals. So when you punt those two categories together, it's going to elevate the guys that either just score in bunches and score efficiently, or the guys who are a bit more, um, you know, big man dominant that just get the boards, get the blocks, um, and you can kind of marry up a nice kind of situation there. Now, there are other different pairings. These are the ones I've just highlighted here, but make sure that when you are doing um, your punting strategy, you're not pairing too bad things together. That's probably the most important thing. So you don't want to go out and punt field goal percentage and threes, for example, because you're, you're going you're gonna to run into the situation where it, it doesn't really actually provide you any value when you punt when you turn those punts on because the guys who shoot a lot of threes have poor field goal percentage. Um, so you're not getting good field goal percentage and by not getting good field percentage, you're getting bad threes. So it just doesn't really work as well. You're not giving yourself the best opportunity to create value in those situations. I guess is what it comes down to because, again, like we said at the top, the most important reason as to why we're doing this is to create as much value on draft day and during trades as you possibly can. And that kind of cuts into that when you make those bad pairings. All right, let's talk about probably the biggest thing that I want to discuss in today's podcast. And this is the common mistakes that I see people make when they're talking about punting, trying to execute punts in their drafts or throughout the um, the league and, and the, the season. The first one that I think is the biggest common mistake, and especially if you're newer to fantasy basketball, you're newer to punting in general, is locking yourself into a punt early or sometimes even before the draft has even started. Um, if you watched yesterday, we did a video based on rankings, and in that rankings video, we talked about how punting can often skew rankings and things like that. So, for example, in that video, we talked about punting free throw percentage, and in that free throw percentage uh, punting situation, the number five ranked player from last year when you punted free throws was Nicholas Claxton. Now, that does not mean that you go ahead and you draft Nicholas Claxton at five because you've gone and punted free throws on that website and you go, yep, cool. Um, I'm going into the draft. I know I want to punt free throws, so I want to make sure I get the best player that I can at that spot when I'm punting that situation because you've now just undone the whole purpose of punting in the first place, which is, again, to create value. So by locking yourself into that punt early or deciding you're going to go into the draft and you're going to punt, you may miss opportunities throughout the draft that would be there for you had you left yourself open to it. And remember, every player, especially early on and, and, and in head-to-head leagues, has an ability to punt a category. So you might be locked in on punting something, whereas you could have gone a different way and just the way you, you could have gone, there was more valuable just by the nature of the way the draft landed. Maybe a few other people had a similar goal of you in mind and went into that draft going, yeah, I'm going to punt free throw percentage and and you're all sort of looking for these guys that are, you know, of a similar kind of vein um, because you've gone in with that kind of narrow focused goal of, yep, this is the go- this is what I'm going to do. This is what I've planned for. I think that's leading yourself and setting yourself up for failure. So the next thing here is, again, probably one of the big ones. And I'm going to harp on this a fair bit, I think, about when we talk about the specific type of punt builds and strategies next week. But collecting too many of the same type of player. Now, what I mean by this, again, I'm going to continue with my punt free throw percentage build. When you go on to basketballmonster.com or any other site that gives you a valuing and has the option of turning on a punt feature to see how they value without that category being factored in. You're going to see players like Nicholas Claxton, 
Walker Kessler, um, Sabonis, Evan Mobley, uh, Jaron Jackson Jr., Zion Williamson, Rudy Gobert, Mark Williams, Jakob Pertl. All of these types of players are going to receive a huge spike in value. They're going to be much, much higher rated in that type of a build than they would in a standard nine-category setting. But what do all those players have in common? They give you the same boost in value in the same categories. It's often in that situation, field goal percentage, blocks, rebounds, low turnovers. There's four categories. You need at least five categories to win a head-to-head league. So if you are concentrating all of your efforts into one type of player and you're going to be really, really, really strong in field goal percentage, rebounds, and blocks, that's that's good. That's great. Yes, you've insulated yourself in that category, but you won't, again, I'll return back to this point a few times. You only get one point for winning that category no matter how much you win it by. So there is a certain point where going so strong in a certain amount of category uh, a certain category is just wasteful and it's not a good or smart way to um, use your draft assets. And a lot of the times, the, the other categories that you're going to try and to get to be good at, like assists, steals, points, those categories often dry up quite quickly, whereas you can get a player like a Mark Williams, like a Jakob Pertl, those kind of guys that maybe don't do it quite as well as the players like a Claxon and a Walker Kessler. You might not be able to get them as quite as good of a player, but you can get those guys 50, 60 spots later in the draft and they still provide, again, not to the same extent, but the same value in terms of they give you good rebounds, blocks, and field goal percentage. Those are their strengths versus you might not get the strengths of these other players earlier. So don't limit yourself. And this applies to all different... I'm just using the free throw percentage as a uh, as an example, but this applies to all different types of punts. Make sure that you're not limiting yourself to the same type of player. Your team still needs to have some semblance of balance in it, even though when you put that ranking, punt ranking into a basketballmonster.com, these guys all project to really, really well. It still comes down to winning 5, 4, 6, 3 each week. And if you go too heavy in one area, you're going to limit your ability to do that. All right, the next um, mistake that I see a lot of people make is ignoring players who don't fit your build. Now, I put fit your build in uh, quotation marks there because remember, we're not trying to be bad at a category. And a lot of the times we'll look at players who quote-unquote fit your build. Again, I'm going to go back to your punt free throw percentage build, but say we're looking at a guard and a lot of the guards we talk about with the punt free throw build are players like De'Aaron Fox, Ja Morant, um... Who's someone else that comes to mind? Like uh, Kevin Porter Jr. last year. These guys that quote-unquote fit your build really nice because despite them um, having great assists and things like that, their value is brought down because of their poor free throw percentage. Don't feel like you have to go only with those guys. The reason that those guys often end up on your team is because they are being discounted because of the fact that they have poor free throw percentage. But... If for whatever reason another player falls into your lap at a really good value, you could still go ahead and draft them at that position because the value is kind of built in there anyway just for whatever reason the other you know, teammates in your league haven't drafted him at the point where he or you believe he should have gone because of how you value him. So remember that you don't have to chase a certain type of player. What you're looking for at the end of the, end of the day is value. So if value falls into your lap don't just ignore it because it's not the guy you're expecting to be there. If he's there, 
go ahead, take that swing and get him in. He might have more trade value even uh, during the league later if you if, if it comes right that you were right in terms of him being someone who should have gone earlier. You could trade him a little bit easier. Um, and remember, if, if you're good in that category that you're punting, that's just a bonus. It's just an extra sort of thing that you can hang your hat on. But remember, the only reason you are punting is because value is something you're trying to create. But if it falls into your lap, go ahead and take it um, and uh, yeah, don't don't think too much about it. So, for example, if for example we were doing a punt free throw build, and again, I'm using last year's numbers as an example. Uh, Darren Fox comes out as the 46th ranked player, but in that build, um, let's just scroll up a little bit. And this would never happen. But say, for example, Paul George comes out as the 31st ranked player. Now, Paul George shoots 86.4% free throws. If he was there and Darren Fox was there, in that punt build, punt free throw percentage build, Paul George is still the better player despite him being a good free throw percentage shooter. Now, maybe he's fallen because of injury concerns and things like that. But if you are confident in his ability to be available, you can still go ahead and grab Paul George because he's going to provide better threes. He's going to provide better uh, points, probably better steals and, and things like that. So you can go ahead and get him and he's going to fit, he's going to, do more for your team than a player who quote-unquote fits your build. So um, that's kind of the example of what I'm talking about there. So um, that is one of the big mistakes. And then the last one here, lacking positional depth. This one's probably more for the teams that go ahead and do multiple category punts. So especially when we talk later, we're going to talk about the four category punt strategy, punt bigs, punt guards. You still want to have good depth at each position and and have a player in each position that you don't mind being in your starting roster spot. You, you don't. I don't want to get into the situation where, say, I'm going heavy on a punt and I'm punting four categories. We'll talk about this later again. But I don't want to get to the situation where I have to fill like my center spot with someone who's not really that good when I've got all these better guys on my bench who are guard forward eligible. Uh, but the only reason that I've got to play this kind of shit players because he's the only center that I have um, that actually gives me anything of value because I'm punting rebounds, blocks, field goal percentage. Um, now, I don't want to get myself into that situation, so I still need to draft those positions, and I want to maybe even be a bit more aggressive in drafting players who give me boosts in my assists, in my threes, in my free throw percentage in that position. Maybe not the, not the highest ranked player in that build, but I want that position to still function as something useful rather than like someone I'm just throwing in there to kind of make it even because at the end of the day if you're going up against a player and you both have 40 games um, played for that week in a head-to-head situation I don't want sort of three or four of those games to be made up by the center who's just trash and he only contributes really like two threes a game and that's kind of it uh, for that that week and maybe 10 points. Like, it's it's not very useful. So I'd rather get a guy who maybe isn't as good as the guard but can give me some assists, give me some steals, give me some good scoring, um, and I can make up more value later with, you know, late-round guards, late-round forwards that are elevated in my punt build. So make sure you do get that positional depth in that, in that position that may not typically um, fit your punt strategies Um compared to some of the other positions. And then the last well, the last couple of things were here. 
Uh, I haven't talked about this too much, but um, we've, we've thrown around in passing, but soft punts is also another thing that I think is something that maybe people don't use a lot of. And I, I'll tell you, this is a good strategy of what I do, especially if you have something like a draft tracker or you sort of get into that, you, you maybe accidentally find yourself into that position where you are starting to build a team where you're getting really strong in a few categories. You can use soft punts in this situation as well. And I'll talk about what I mean with that in a second. But what what I mean when I say a soft punt, it's basically without completely ignoring the category, you're just going to value it less. So again, if I direct us to Basketball Monster, they have a good way where you can show the weighting of a category. Um, so we actually, we might go ahead and do that right now. So I can give you a good visual of what I'm talking about. So if I'm over here at Basketball Monster and I go into this punt category, so I tick this little thing here, what I can now do is go into the show weighting in this area here. Now, right now, everything is a one, so everything is equal. Now, if I go ahead and I click punt free throw percentage, it's going to now completely ignore that category. I could just rewrite that and say zero. It's the same thing, okay? Um, but I've clicked punting on that one there, so it's not taking that into account. So if I look down here from last year's rankings, Nicholas Clax is now number five, Giannis uh, is number 10, so I can clearly see that. But if I get to a situation um, where... And, and the reason... So there's two, two types of scenarios where I would use soft punts. Say, for example, you're coming up into a draft and I know that another team is doing a similar punt strategy. So say you've got two guys who are punting free throw percentage. You might want to, instead of putting it at a complete punt, you might want to value it at 0.5. So now it's worth half of what the other categories are now worth. So instead of Giannis being at 10, Giannis is now at 35 because his free throw percentage is still worth something to you. Um, You could go ahead and make that 0.25, 0.25, so it's a little bit even, you know, whatever. You can make it as much as you want, but this is something that you can do so that if I'm going up against a team with a similar punt strategy in mind, I'm conscious of the fact that I might actually still be able to beat them in free throw percentage because we're both punting that category, so I still want to kind of care about it a little bit, but not as much as everything else. So this is a good way to then value, okay, I'm looking after it a little bit, but just not as much as you know, 10 of the other managers, but just more than the other one person who is completely going ahead and punting it. So say, for example, you draft a Luka Doncic. This might be a good example to do that. So because he's not the biggest drag of punting uh, free throw percentage, I can get him. He's still the ninth best player. That's great. Um, He's going to give me some really good threes. So if I give just that just a half half weighting, I can then go ahead and say, okay, yep, Sabonis is still a really good draft pick here. He's, he's going to do well. Claxon's nowhere near as high as he was before because, again, his free throw percentage is going to really weigh me down a little bit here. But players who maybe it's not just super strong, it's not that big of a deterrent. So Jaron Jackson Jr., who's just kind of okay in that category, um, I'm still getting really good blocks. I'm still getting really good you know things. But compared him to a Claxton, who kind of does a similar kind of thing to him, except he hits better threes and he shoots better free throws, that I'm going to take a Jaron Jackson Jr. over a Claxton in that situation. So that's one of the scenarios you could really use it in. The other scenario, which I don't think I've ever heard people talk about before, but I actually do this sometimes when I'm in a draft and I am punting and I have a draft track or I know that I'm really strong in certain categories, is I will actually go and I will say I'm punting free throw percentage, and I get to the point where I've got Giannis in my team. Then I've gone, and in previous years, I've got Gobert. 
what I'm actually going to start to do now is I'm actually going to weight field goal percentage a lot less. Now, that might seem counterintuitive, but because I know that I am so strong in field goal percentage, I no longer need to concentrate on building that up because I've got such a lead in that category that the weighting of that for the remaining players that I need to draft is less important to me because I no longer give a shit. I'm already really, really good in that category. So even though that's going to be one of my strengths, for me moving forward now, I'm now going to not care about that category as much. So now I'm trying to look at, okay, what are the, what are the categories that I am looking for outside of field goal percentage and how does that affect a player's ranking? And you can go ahead and you can see, okay, well now, even though I'm punting free throw percentage, I'm already strong in field goal percentage. A player like, if we scroll down here, a player like a Walker Kessler, who would otherwise be a top 20 player, is now 65 because I'm already really, really good in that category because I've drafted Giannis. I've drafted Rudy Gobert or whoever it is. Um, So a player like that is no longer important to me, but now I might actually look for someone like a Terry Rozier who typically you wouldn't consider in that type of a build, but I need his points. I need his assists. I need his threes if I'm trying to be competitive in that category. He might be more valuable in that build, even though if you just punted the free throw percentage, he would fall behind a Walker Kessler. But because of what I need as my team, he's actually going to be a little bit higher. So I hope a lot of that all makes sense for you guys. Um, and where that soft punting can kind of be used because I think it is a, a, a way and a nuance in terms of punting that you can use um, that doesn't really get talked about a lot. And um, again, if we just keep coming back to we want to build our team with balance and we also want to create value, those are our two biggest goals when we're introducing punting as a strategy. I think those are some nice strategies that you can use to make it more effective. All right, now to round off this podcast, we're going to talk about the uh, the four category punts. Now, I know um, some analysts are big fans of this. I know Adam King is a huge fan of doing this in a lot of the mock drafts that he and I do together. Um, punting big men or punting guards. Now, this is a strategy that I've used in the past and it has worked sometimes. Sometimes it has not. It is what I would consider a very risky strategy and definitely a strategy more for the more advanced player. This is basically now, if we go back to our conversation with the the head-to-head leagues, you only need to win 5-4 to progress in the playoffs. So in this category, in this strategy, sorry, you're punting four categories. Now, the two most common ones are punt bigs, punt guards. In the punt bigs, you're punting rebounds, blocks, field goal percentage, and turnovers. So you're concentrating all of your efforts in getting points, uh, threes, steals, assists, free throw percentage, And those are your five categories. In the punt guards, you're ignoring assists, threes, free throw percentage, and usually points. And you're focusing on getting really good rebounders, field goal percentage, blocks, um, steals. We'll talk about steals in a second. And you're naturally going to have lower turnovers because you don't have many guards on your team. Now, the interesting thing with both of these builds is both builds are looking for steals. Steals is the one category that you're looking for in both scenarios. And the interesting thing, again, if you've ever listened to the Locked On Fantasy Basketball uh, channel, if you haven't, I would recommend doing so. Um, One of the interesting things that I've learned listening to that channel and the year-over-year correlation and reliability on stats is steals is the lowest category that we can rely on from year to year. It's the most volatile stat. So in both of those builds, you're relying on steals 
being the one category that both diametrically opposed um, you know, targets are looking for, yet it is the one that is the least reliable. So I just find that very interesting to sort of point out. I don't know if it really means all that much, but it does mean that especially if you are doing that, you're naturally going to be really, really good in assists. You're naturally going to be really, really good in threes. Free throw percentage can be something to look out for because, again, percentages can be a bit more volatile. Um, You know, points, again, a lot of teams really like to look out for points. So points and steals are usually the ones that in that punt uh, punt bigs category that you're going to have to be the most conscious of because points, um, everyone loves scoring. It's sort of something that we all sort of froth over. Um, so you're going to have to look after that. And the steals, a lot of teams are going to be looking for that as well despite their uh, punt strategy. It's often not one that we see a lot of teams punting. Um, in the punt bigs, the weird thing here is that you're going to be really, really good in turnovers. And again, you're going to be really, really, really relying on steals. And a lot of times when you're getting those big guys, they're not going to be the best at getting steals. And I actually lost to a team that was doing this strategy in the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Bowl. And it was actually a really fascinating way, the way this guy went about his team. He just went really, really heavy early on. He drafted, I think started with Kevin Durant. Um, and then he went with uh, players like Gobert, um, I can't even remember off the top of my head, but he had all these big guys like Nyeka Kongwu, Clint Capella, Mitch Robinson. I can't remember exactly how he went. But then he also grabbed a lot of these steel specialists like a Herb Jones, like a DeAnthony Melton, like a Matisse Thibel. Um, all of these guys that were really, really dominant in steals. They didn't really do too much else, but he was so strong in those other categories that he didn't need them to do anything else. And this actually made his team a very difficult team to beat him uh, on a week-to-week basis. I think I beat him once in the regular season because I did nip him in steals, but in the playoffs, he did get me in the steals eventually. So there's a high-risk, high-reward um, way of going about it because you need to be the best in those five categories in the league. You can't afford to have, uh, you know, be the second best in that category because if you lose any one of them, you're done. You lose. So that is very difficult to be, whereas if you're punting just a couple of, um, categories, you don't necessarily have to be the best as long as you are better than at least one of those categories in each team that you're going up against in. So, uh, whereas if you do the four category punt, you need to be top of your league in all five of those categories. And that can be very, very tough to do. But it is something that I have seen work. But just keep in mind that steals in both builds is very, very important. And especially in the punt bigs build, you need to be really, really good at scoring as well, and that is tough to do because a lot of people really need their scoring, and a lot of people target scoring early in drafts regardless of their build. So, um, yeah, definitely something to to pay attention to, and, and an interesting one that if you haven't ever tried it before and you wanted to just do something a bit crazy, you could definitely give it a go, but keep in mind, it is one of the riskier strategies. So, that will, uh, that will do it for us today, guys. If you have any questions about punting, drop it in the comments below. Reminder that we will be doing some specific punt guides as podcasts and videos in the next week. So again, we're going to start off with the percentages, which are the most common field goal percentage and free throw percentage. And then we're also going to follow it up with a punt assists and punt points guide next week. If you desperately want a punt blocks or punt steals or anything else, punt threes, then drop it down in the comments. Let me know. I'll consider this depending on how many, uh, how much demand we get for those specific builds. But at this stage, we're going to be doing those other four. And then very, very soon, we're going to be getting stuck into some mock drafts, talking sleepers and busts and all that sort of good things leading into the start of the year. So uh, yeah, lots of stuff coming along. Make sure you guys, if you haven't already, hit the subscribe button on YouTube or on wherever you get your Apple podcast, Spotify, wherever. And uh, until next time, I'll catch you later. Bye.